I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, hello, you beautiful people. The Montreal Canadiens trying to stay alive, and they're doing a pretty good job so far. Five minutes into the second period. Oh, and they've just scored. They have just scored another one. I think Kotkaniemi poked this one in. So now 3 nothing for the Canadiens with 15.08 to go in the second period. Yoel Armia scored twice in the first period so montreal leading game five in toronto three nothing the leafs are up three one in the series now of course if montreal wins they're back home on saturday with some fans in the building so we'll keep you posted on this one as we move along tonight hurricanes and predators drop the puck at 7 30 Carolina on the road, a 3-2 series lead. They won in overtime a couple of days ago, so they're going to try to finish off the Predators. One game tomorrow, it's Game 7, the Wild and the Golden Knights. The Wild with a great performance in net from Cam Talbot, winning in Game 6 last night to keep that series going. The Blue Jays and Yankees in a 3-3 tie in the top of the fourth. Second game of a doubleheader. The Jays won 2-0 this afternoon. Alec Manoa making his pitching debut in the big leagues for the Jays. Six innings. It was a seven-inning game because it's part of a double uh, doubleheader. He went six innings through 88 pitches, only allowed two hits and two walks. He struck out seven, so an awesome debut for Alec Manoa. And basketball playoffs tonight, just one game underway late in the first quarter, about two minutes left. It's Milwaukee leading Miami 21-8. Only, uh, well, the Heat just hit a three-pointer, 21-11. Two games to nothing lead already for Milwaukee, and they have started quickly in that one. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name's Reed, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. You can get in touch on the hotline presented by Certain Teed professional grade building materials that's seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three follow me on twitter at reed wilkins r-e-i-d-w-i-l-k-i-n-s and email if you like to email i actually got an email earlier today from a listener i may read that a little bit later on inside sports at 630 com. so the montreal canadians have not been able to score in this series until tonight they got three tonight and apparently before the game Veteran Corey Perry, probably one of the most popular non-oiler players in oil country. Maybe not. My mom sure doesn't like him. Corey Perry apparently put his stick in uh, the in a garbage can in the Canadian's dressing room as a message inspiration ritual, I don't know what you want to call it. I guess we'll call it a, a a message that the Canadians needed to score some garbage goals. And the first two, the their second and third goals certainly were garbage goals. By the way, Toronto has now just scored. So 3-1 for Montreal. Whenever I talk about this series, someone scores. That's the trend so far tonight. John Tavares is in the building, which is good for him after that scary injury in game one. The Leafs captain able to uh, be in attendance for this game, and he did skate earlier today. So Corey Perry puts his stick in a garbage can. 
as a, an inspiration, a reminder to the team that they got to score garbage goals. It also explains why he has a banana peel stuck to his stick as he's skating around tonight. So there, there's sort of the connection there. He did he did that, and, and now he's got a banana peel and I believe a gum wrapper uh, stuck to his stick as the uh, Canadians play the Maple Leafs. So it's it appears to be working, which is uh, good for Corey Perry and the Canadians as they lead it 3-1. Okay. I watched uh, the third period last night of Minnesota and Vegas. I don't know if any of you caught some or all of that game. I was able kind of to sit down after uh, after I got some things out of the way after the show and the, uh, the the old dog had to be walked. By the way, my dog, Rocket, it's his 15th birthday today. How about that, Kellen? Rocket's 15. Well, happy birthday. Happy birthday to little Rocket, if he's if he's listening. If he, Well, he's not listening because, unfortunately, he has gone deaf. But I did spend a considerable amount of yeah. time with him earlier today. There you so go. So maybe, maybe I'll bake him a cake tonight. So uh, after I did that, that and the dog duty last night, I got to sit down and watch Minnesota and Vegas. And yet another, to me, somewhat confounding goalie interference decision as Vegas scored and appear to tie the game, and then the goal is waved off. So Vegas says, well, we have to challenge because we really think it should count, and it was still waved off. And there was not a lot of contact. I, I mean, this is, and I know for, for Oilers fans, you always go back to the play against Anaheim in that Game 5 loss in 2017 where you have Ryan Kessler lying on top of Cam Talbot's leg and apparently pulling the part of his pad off the leg and the puck goes five hole and that was okay uh I, look that was a missed call the one last night i thought well he's kind of in the crease but he's not really jostling cam talbot or stopping his movement or anything like that but it does say it does say uh in the rule book that the player can't be in the crease that that is a big part of the goal being disallowed there wasn't a penalty on the play, well, there was because Vegas uh, got a penalty for delay of game. I mean, it wasn't a goalie interference penalty, but it was enough to disallow the goal. Vegas challenges, they lose the challenge, so that's a delay of game penalty. Minnesota scores on the ensuing power play, and they put that game away. So Vegas, you know, they haven't been playing with Max Pacioretty. Maybe they get him back tomorrow. But Vegas, uh, one of the cup favorites, in danger here of uh, being bounced in the first round as they go back home for game seven. So anyway, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of interesting watching that game. We've had a lot of sort of a post-mortem examination of the Edmonton Oilers over the last couple of days. They lost that marathon game Monday night. I guess it was decided just after, uh, just after midnight mountain time. I think it was 12.04 AM when the goal went in. We had some of the players speak on Tuesday. Dave Tippett spoke on Tuesday. Uh, Ken Holland spoke yesterday. An extensive, uh, very lengthy chat with the media over Zoom. Then he also went on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. We brought you some of the highlights on yesterday's show. We may throw in a couple clips as we move along today as well. And I've been hearing a lot from you over the recent days as well. Uh, a lot of phone calls over the last couple of days. And there's... You know, a lot of people have brought up Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent. That deal he signed seven years ago is ending. I can remember that day when he uh, he got the extension. Well, I guess he actually signed the deal eight years ago, and then it kicked in seven years ago. Forty-two million, seven years, six million per year, and 
I, he's a very interesting player to talk about because he's a good player. He's a skilled player. He's an all-round player. But he's coming off a year in which he wasn't a, tor- a very productive player, at least five on five. And if he's brought back, they're going to need him to be on a line with one of the two big guys and to be productive. And I think as much as anything, perhaps it was the fact that Nuge didn't light it up five on five, that they they felt forced to play McDavid and Dreisaitl together for most of the playoffs. Five on five points. Now, how about this for this year? J- just points. I'm not doing points per game because most of these guys played around the same number of games. Five on five points. I'm going to pick the four players who are in the top six the most often with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Dominic Cahoon had 14 five-on-five points. Ryan Nugent Hopkins had 15. Yamamoto, who we're sitting here saying didn't have a very good year, had 19 five-on-five points. And Yessi Pugliarvi had 21. So that's an interesting way to look at it. If, if you look at the four guys who most often played on the top two lines, Nugent Hopkins actually third in terms of what he was able to do at even strength. So that there's another discussion point we'll uh, keep going with as we move along. Okay, we got a lot to get to tonight. News with the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, really positive about their program. Brad Lauer will hop on a little bit later. Phil Bork from the Pittsburgh Penguins broadcast booth will break down their loss to the New York Islanders. Mooners coming on, and a uh, pretty big story here out of the Calgary Stampede and the Rangeland Derby, and we'll be joined by one of the best chuck wagon drivers in the business when we get back. the guy that played 62 minutes in the game got back to Edmonton and became a father busy time for Darnell Nurse okay with a story today concerning the Calgary Stampede which is uh you know they're they're looking at being kind of part of the the big relaunch here for the province but one of the big events at the Calgary Stampede is chuck wagon racing the Rangeland Derby and even though it looks like the stampede, the stampede is going to go, the Rangeland Derby will not. And I'm pleased to uh, welcome back to the show a gentleman I've known for a couple of decades, first as an outrider, then as uh, a driver on the CPCA and then the WPCA. And uh, really, he's become one of the all-time greats with four Rangeland Derby championships. Kurt Bensmiller from Dewberry, Alberta, is on the line. Kurt, uh, I wish we were, we were catching up under better circumstances, but how are you doing? Uh, as good as I could be today on a day like today. So can you sum up the explanation of why there's going to be a Calgary stampede, but one of the biggest parts of the stampede isn't going ahead? Um, well, Cal- Calgary's trying to tell us that it's um, for the longevity of wagon racing. They're, we're not going to have our five weeks of racing in that we typically would have um, in many of the other years. Um, but anybody that knows wagon racing and knows the wagon horses um, knows it's not a realistic statement that they've tried to put out. Um, I've been pushing pretty hard today, telling Calgary to make sure that that's not what people know. Um, I know my wagon horses. Um, I, 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 want, um, I, I want them to have no part of their release statements that they're putting out. You know, my professionalism commitment to the safety of my equine athletes as well as the sport should never be in question. Um, we, we don't put anything out there that's not ready to race or, or ready to compete. So for, for the message that they're putting out from a bunch of guys that 
don't know wagon racing at all, but they're uh, they obviously in a position to make the decisions. Um, it's, a, it's a sad day for wagon drivers. So their argument, because what the buildup is usually, I think the Panoka Stampede is right beforehand, and it's all part of the WPCA tour, and then there's the Stampede. So that's their argument. But but you're so what have you what have you been doing to keep the horses and yourself in racing shape? Well, actually, Calgary asked us about ten or twelve days ago what what we were doing to keep in shape, how many days we were gonna you know compete in before we actually got to the Stampede. I told them that. Um, that all drivers are professionals. We, we've been pushing the exact same that I have in every other year. Um, no drivers going there not to compete at the at the best of their potential, and we're going there to put on the best show for our, our families, our horses, the, the sponsors, the fans, and put on the best Calgary Stampede possible. Um, so this whole time, which is probably the mis- most disappointing part, is the lack of professionalism in the Calgary Stampede um, today that if they knew that they wanted us to have five weeks of uh, racing coming up to this, then they should have told us that before our date was passed to get five weeks of racing in. Um, it's just sad. And, and like I said, it's it's a horrible situation for us drivers because we've all spent tens of thousands of dollars to get ready for this year like we have every year. And, and we all knew the risk of doing that, but that we all thought that was COVID-related. And for them to slap us in the face with something that they never told us at all is... It's kind of disheartening. Kurt, when was the last time you were in a competitive wagon race? And and look, it's you guys aren't aren't millionaires. I mean, there's decent money if you're at the highest level, but uh, this obviously affects uh, the the bottom line for the drivers and and their crews. Uh, absolutely. I mean, for them to say that it's going to change, and they're, and they're like I said, they're they're. Uh, trying to sustain wagon racing by not going this year it, it's going to eliminate a lot of wagon drivers it completely destroys our programs unless you have a very good job in the off season um, guys are not going to go out and purchase a bunch of new horses uh, I mean at the end of the day for most of the guys it'll be the horses like the equine athletes that they're trying to protect that are going to hit the get hit the hardest because you're going to have to cut somewhere um, and like I said, we've already spent tens of thousands of dollars to get this rolling, and, and now for them to say absolutely not, even after Kenny's uh, update, is just it's just ridiculous. Did, did you race at all last year? Like I know it was it was were you able to do anything last year? Well, uh, there was this uh, res tour they called it. And it was for charity at a bunch of different uh, reservations close to us. Uh, Dewberry had a, a race meet. And we donated all of our winnings or most, like we all got so much to come. We donated the rest of the winnings to uh, local charities. So I went for 16 days last year. I drove two outfits at every one of them. So I drove as much last year as I have in any other year. Um, Calgary announces this today and I wanted to kind of drown myself out in in a gallon of whiskey. But instead we continued on we hooked the horses we uh truck train we fed everybody and we re- just just finished getting in from barning 22 heads so i mean my program doesn't change whether calgary goes or not um as of right now but but they keep throwing this stuff at us um without actual recommendations from drivers that actually know the sport it's uh it's putting a lot of strain on us drivers Will you be able to race any other events? I know the season usually kind of ends late in August, so but might you be able to get some other meets in, or is it not even going to be worth it without the rangeland? 
Well, at this point, Calgary's really handcuffed us. Um, we, like I said, we put out several thousand dollars now. So anything that we can recoup, whether it, it recoups the whole cost, um, it, it's it's kind of like while well, you spent twenty thousand already, if you can at least get eight or ten back, it's worth it. Um, you know, to try to offset it a bit. But yeah, Calgary's really put a damper on all of us, and it's it's uh, really gonna have a domino effect for the future of truck wagon racing, uh, especially at the Calgary Stampede, because I imagine for every driver that was going there that the trust is gone with them, because until today, we, we assumed it was COVID-related, and, and we all understand that 100%. We want everybody back and healthy and not in the hospitals, but uh, this has nothing to do with that, and it's sad. Well, Kurt, I, I appreciate your update. I, I obviously could hear how... Uh... How, how upset you are and it, it's too bad you are you guys aren't going to be able to race while the rest of the stampede is is going on but but thanks for for sharing what's happening and giving us your perspective i think it is important and uh it, it is good to talk to you though i wish we were talking about actual racing thanks for catching up and say hi to the rest of your family okay thanks Reed. i appreciate it that's kurt bensmiller four-time rangeland derby champ and you can hear it he is upset he is upset that the calgary stampede not going ahead with the uh, Rangeland Derby basically saying, well, we wanted you guys to have five weeks of lead-up time for uh, racing, and now it's a little too late for them to, to get all of that organized. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, Canadians up 3-1 on the Leafs. Five and a half left in the second period. We'll keep you updated. Mooners next. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Late in the second period, Canadians lead the Maple Leafs 3-1. 1.59 left in the second period. Armia has two. Kotkaniemi made it 3-0 early in the second period. Hyman has the only goal for Toronto. So Montreal trying to stay alive and force game six on Saturday. Hurricanes and Predators later. Wild and Golden Knights will play game seven tomorrow. The NHL has also announced game one between the Islanders and the Bruins or the Everly versus Hall series, as some have dubbed it. That'll start Saturday at 6 o'clock. Baseball, Blue Jays trail the Yankees 4-3 in the bottom of the fifth. That's a seven-inning game. It's the second half of a doubleheader. In the first part, first game, Toronto beat the Yankees 2-0. Alec Manoa, first start, six innings, seven strikeouts, two hits, two walks. Pretty impressive first start for him. We're going to touch on what's going on with the Edmonton Oil Kings. We'll talk about the Penguins' exit from the playoffs as we move along tonight. Uh, Kurt Benzmiller was just on the show. That is still a sport, and chuck wagon racing is a sport. It's still something I follow. I started covering it, well, 21 years ago, my first summer in Lloydminster, and I knew nothing about it. And I quickly learned a lot. And I quickly fell in love with it and the people. 
And one of the biggest myths that I face in my professional career is that when I bring up chuck wagon racing is I hear things like, oh, that's the sport where all the horses die, or that's the, ho- that's the sport where the horses are tortured. And it's difficult, I guess, to get through to people who've decided they believe that, how far from the truth that is. In a lot of cases, those are, are thoroughbred horses who have re- been retired from thoroughbred racing and now get to continue racing and continue being cared for. And they want to run. And yes, it's a business and there's money to be made. And unfortunately, sometimes there are injuries and there are crashes. And I'm sorry to tell you this, there are horses that pass away and there have been drivers killed. But for the most part, the sport is very safe and the horses are incredibly, incredibly well cared for. They are the they are part of the team. Like if, if someone says to me, well, these chuck wagon drivers don't care for their horses, that would be the equivalent of somebody saying an NHL team doesn't allow its players to drink water to rehydrate. I mean, it's, it's just an absurd notion. If chuck wagon racing is not for you, I, I respect that. And, and I can't deny the fact, and, and I've seen it, I've seen wrecks, and I've seen what, you know, the, the big blue curtain come out around a horse. So the, sometimes a horse is, is euthanized on the track. But that horse's quality of life has already be, been extended by just it being a chuck wagon horse. And, and I feel as we go along here, chuck wagon racing is increasingly disrespected. It's increasingly taken shots at by people who don't really understand what's going on in the sport. And they have taken steps to make it a little safer and reduce the number of people and horses that are on a track during a race. All fair enough. But like, it's not this meat market torture rollerball type event. It's just important for me to say that. Cam Moon is on the line. He probably watched a chuck wagon race or two in Red Deer, I would guess. Hey, Mooner. Hey. Yeah, I, I did see one time. I did see it once, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay just once yeah. well i've seen yeah. i've seen it many more times than okay than yeah, anyway thanks for thanks time. for sitting yeah. on hold through that i got on my soapbox a little bit but i hey i got an opinion on it it's a strong yeah. opinion and it's based on personal observations and, exactly. and facts so i yeah. that's why I, I i bring that to people and it's too bad those those guys aren't going to be able to to race anyway how are you doing how has your week been since the elimination uh good i'm coming to terms with it now yeah it was uh you know, a little, little tough, a little jarring, a little stunning that that it was four straight. I didn't expect that. I mean, three of them were overtime. The other one was a one-goal game until a couple of empty netters, so they were obviously, obviously very close. But, yeah, that is not uh, – I did not have that one on the bingo card, that it would come out four straight like that. So I was, it's, I'm just coming to terms with it now. Uh, yeah. But what, yeah. What was the biggest factor for you? Just the inability to get the the big goal when they needed it. And part of that is Connor Hellebuck and the way he played. And I think you have to completely acknowledge how well the Winnipeg Jets played and how well Connor Hellebuck played. Uh, yeah, if you'd have told me going in that there'd be three overtimes in a row and, and the Oilers would lose all three, I'd have said, no way. Like, just, I just would have thought the law of averages would have got them, you know, two out of three wins. But... 
they didn't. They just didn't get that goal when they needed that goal. That, that to me, was was probably the, the biggest thing. But I have to say that part of that was was the way Connor Hellebuck played in goal. Hats off to him because he was solid. Yeah, I, I would classify him as the MVP of the series for yeah. sure. And the Oilers, you know, really shortened that bench in, in overtime and some guys sat and Nurse played almost the entire game or, or it seemed like it. Okay, yeah. we, we've been talking a lot. What does the team need? Hall had spoke yesterday. You know, I, I said on this show that I think they probably need to upgrade upgrade in six positions to be to go from a second tier team to a top tier team um you love the nuge a lot of people love the nuge you've known him since he was 15 16 years old and became a red deer rebel his five on five point production this year was 15 points dominic cahoon got 14 points and was scratched in the last two games now nuge got points on the power play he killed penalties all that kind of thing you've really followed nuge throughout his career was there anything you saw this year, or do you think he just d- didn't get the puck lock and, and couldn't get the shots away and bury them when he needed? What are you thinking? Because his future with the team is going to be a, a heavily debated topic because his contract is up. Yeah, I, I think it was a few things. I, one of it, maybe a, a little bit of, of puck luck didn't go his way, uh, but he didn't seem to, on five-on-five situations, pull the trigger as quick or as authoritative as he had in the past. Uh, maybe a bit of a double clutch once in a while, or, or just didn't get it away quite as quick. And I think that's part of his uh, his goal-scoring ability is, is a quick release. And I, I don't know that we saw it quite as much as we did before. Like, the effort is there. Uh, he was good on the PK. He does a lot of things. And, and I really think... It, I think I think they'll sign him, quite honestly, and I hope they do because he does a lot of things. And yes, the the five on five points went down. Does that mean they'll be down next year? No, it doesn't actually. If you look at the whole body of work, it's a pretty good body of work. And if you you don't re-sign him, good luck finding somebody like that. It's going to be difficult because um, you, you go into an, an open market situation. You're battling with. 31 other teams all looking for same type of players. Yeah, I mean, some have cap issues and some won't, but the the reality is you're still battling with a lot of other teams. There's no guarantee you're going to get anywhere close to what you want. Uh, whereas a guy like Ryan is a known commodity, is well-liked in the room, uh, can do other things. I think his five-on-five five numbers will get back to more of, of a normal situation next year. Maybe not, you know, at peak level, but certainly improved from this year. But he is good on the power play, and he is good on the penalty kill. So, I don't know. I I, I like to focus on, you know, what he can do uh, as opposed to what he can't do. And I just think he'd be, if you didn't bring him back, you'd be battling tooth and nail. To try- With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And find a guy similar, and uh, you might find that guy, and you might not. 
but you you probably already have that guy. Yeah, that's the argument often comes back to that, right? That if he's not on the team, who does what he can yeah. do? So yeah, yeah I, I hear you. And that's that's what balances around in my head quite a bit as well. Cam Moon joining us tonight at Inside Sports. Just uh, spent his first year calling play-by-play for your Edmonton Oilers here on 630 Chet and the Oilers Radio Network. He joined us on the Face-Off show. You did a special feature, Mooner and Friends, which I know you had plans for many, many more. Oh, <laughs> we'll, we'll I know. <laughs> that was that was pretty disappointing. I was loving doing that. And four games and uh, we were done. <laughs> it's too bad. Yeah. Uh, look, Cam, uh, we're, we're pretty lucky because throughout the year, I got uh, a lot of listeners complimenting uh, both you and Jack, which was pretty cool. And, and people aren't choosing between you and Jack, but we were pretty lucky to have both you guys uh, – on the airwaves and certainly a lot of people have listening to you calling rebels games for the last couple of decades. We're happy to see you in the NHL looking back on it now. Uh, biggest, I don't know if you want to answer biggest transition to calling NHL games or, uh, or just how you're, you're kind of digesting the experience because we should remind people you, you got hired like three days before you had to call a game. So there, yeah. there wasn't a lot of lead up for you either. <laughs> no, no, it was like drinking out of a fire hose for sure. Uh, yeah, the, the, the start was, was a lot in a short amount of time, but it, it was great. I, the, I, the biggest thing for me, the biggest adjustment was um, in, in preparation, especially because we didn't have much lead up time, is where do I find all the information I need to find? In the WHL, I knew where everything was, and it was it was pretty simple because year to year to year it didn't change much, and it, it was easy. I got here. It's it's a COVID year, so you know it's different in the, in the obviously nobody in the rink, so calling the game's different because it doesn't have that same vibe. Uh, but you know just the way we are in the rink, we're not in the regular media area and all that. So the adjustment to to be able to find the information that I need, how things are done here, just the, you know, how do we do this? How do we, how do we uh, you know, do the morning skate? And then how do we do the media after? And again, COVID year, so it's all different than it normally would be anyway, but certainly vastly different from anything I had done previous. The actual hockey, well, it's it's hockey. Yeah, it's it's a better level. It's the best level. But at the end of the day, it's still it's still the game. So you know, that part is pretty simple because it, it's it's all the same. It was all the other stuff that I had to adjust to on the fly, really, really quick. Uh, and, oh, and then you had to throw into the mix the road games. We weren't even at the road games, and we were watching them off a television monitor at that 6:30 Chad Studio. So, needless to say, that was a, a, a vast adjustment for me. I'd never done that before. I had a ton of anxiety before the first one, and then it wasn't so bad after that. But honestly, so good to be part of a talented team, to get to work with with yourself, with, with Stoff, with Jack, Rob. Like, just absolutely love it, man. And, the, and the, like the post-game call-in that I would listen to all the time, I, I just love the passion of the fans. I love how people care. And, and I love how they, like, there's such a deep love of their team. And when it goes well... They're so happy. And when it goes wrong, they're so sour. And that's how it goes. Like, that's all part of the deal. And and that, that's part of it that I love. Like, you know, growing up here, I was exactly the same. I, and, you know, granted, in those years, there was a lot of winning. So you weren't sour a lot. But still, 
Uh, I remember the feeling uh, when when the Oilers lost in '86 in Game Seven. I remember that feeling, and that was it was awful. But <laughs> next year it worked out pretty good. Uh, so yeah, there's there's lots of stuff. I'd like to say thank you to all the listeners and and anybody that sent along kind words. Thank you very much because uh, absolute pleasure and a treat. Uh, to be able to work with talented people and to be able to call the the team that I grew up loving and still do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I got one more for you. I mentioned earlier in the show, apparently Corey Perry put his stick in a garbage can in the Canadians' dressing room before the game as an inspiration to the team that they have to score garbage goals, and they have scored a couple tonight. From your days in Red Deer... Yeah around junior athletes and around uh, Mr. Brent Sutter for a while, strangest, most memorable or something like that uh, thing a coach or a player did to try to get him or his team out of a slump. Anything come to mind? Yes. Uh, It was the back end of a road trip in Prince George and things were going incredibly bad in the game. So as the game went on, players that Brent didn't think were really pulling their weight, he just kicked them off the bench. So that by the last half of the third period, there was only about eight players left. So it, it was an absolute fight to get off the ice, not on the ice. Uh, guys were taking like three-minute shifts because they had to, and then Brent took away all the he took away all the uh, composite sticks, and uh, they had to use wood sticks the next game. <laughs> and I mean, this is it was really hard to find wood sticks, and we didn't have a lot. So in the pregame warm-up of that next game, nobody would take a slap shot for fear of breaking the stick because we didn't have enough. It was awesome. I'd heard the wood stick story before. I didn't realize he... That's quite a way to bench, guys. Hey, you're you're just out of the game. Get out. Go go change. Oh, wow. Get out. And I remember looking, and in Prince George, the broadcast location is directly across. And I was like, wow, they're they're losing players here. Like... (laughs) They started with, like, 19 on the bench, and now there's, like, six. <laughs> Let me tell you, it was a quick uh, it was a quick exit out of Prince George that night for the nine-and-a-half-hour bus ride back to Red Deer. We were out of there, like, really fast. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Mooner, we'll be having you on uh, quite regularly throughout the summer. I know you'll be going on with Bob as well. Oilers now from noon to two. Thanks for checking in tonight, buddy. It is always a pleasure. Keep Anytime. I love coming on the show. Thank you. Right on. That is Cam Moon on Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Period now complete in Toronto. Canadians lead the Maple Leafs 3-1. Toronto leads the series 3-1. Might be going to game six Saturday in Montreal, and they'd have some fans in the building for that game. That was quite a tale from Cam Moon. So Brent Sutter on a road trip once coaching the Red Deer Rebels. If a player wasn't doing well, instead of benching him or taking him out of the rotation for a while, sent them to the dressing room, done for the night. And then the next game they had to play with wooden sticks, which were few and far between. But they uh, will have to try and flesh out that story a little more here, perhaps in the days or weeks to come. Brad Lauer, speaking of the Western Hockey League, from your Edmonton Oil Kings coming up. Uh, pretty uh, pretty nice stuff for the Oil Kings today in the Central Scouting Rankings. And Phil Bork will break down the Penguins' playoff exit. All ahead, Inside Sports on Chad. 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.